today, as we begin our Advent series, I told you we'd be walking through our series this week, and we talk about the Advent, and what that actually means is the arrival of a notable figure, and in this case, it's the arrival of Jesus coming. It's the arrival of our King, our Savior coming down to this earth. And so we've entitled this series, The Great I Am. Everybody say, The Great I Am. The Great I Am. And where we get that from is that Jesus is, he says who he is throughout the Gospel of John. He says, I am seven different times and five times on top of that as an authoritative figure. But it really originates from the book of Exodus, Exodus 3.14, when Moses is having a conversation with God at the burning bush, and he's like, well, who am I? If these people ask me who sent me to them, the Israelites, because he's going to them and telling them, look, look, I'm coming to take you out of Egyptian captivity. God's freeing you out of it. And then they ask, well, who sent you? He said, well, this this is what he says. Look at it it with me. Exodus 3.14, he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God says, I am who I am. And by saying I am, it means to be. It means to be. And when mentioned three times in Exodus 3.14, it is related to the divine name of God, Yahweh. This personal name, this divine name, Yahweh. Now, why is this important? This is very important because the divine name, Yahweh, has suggested to scholars a range of likely nuances ranging from things like this, meaning like God, the fact that God is self-existent. He's self-existent. Nobody created him. Therefore, he's not dependent on anything else for his own existence. Number two, that God is the creator and the sustainer of all that exists. Number three, that God is immutable. He's unchangeable. He is who he is in his being and his character. Thus, he is not in the process of becoming something different than who he is. Some people say it like this. He's the same God that was here yesterday. He's the same God today and the same God tomorrow forevermore. You ever heard that before? He does not change. He is immutable. And lastly, it says that God is eternal in his existence. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. God is was there before time, and he's going to be there after time. There's no beginning to God. He is eternal. Now, friends, while all of this is true about God, what God is really trying to get across to Moses is that he will be with him and the people of Israel forever. Because hear me, when he says, I am, it doesn't just mean to be. It also means I will be. So don't, don't, don't miss this. What this means is that fam, what, what he's really trying to remind Moses of, what he's trying to remind the people of Israel about is who he is, that he will never change and will always be for them and his promises last forevermore. That's what he's trying to say. Now, family, this is important to us as we enter this series and this season of Advent today because Jesus not only comes down to earth, to save us, to die for our sins if we believe, and then through that we have eternal life. But when we're reading the book of John, as I said before, he makes five claims, authoritative claims of I am, and then on top of that he makes seven more of how I am is broken down. He says these things. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And lastly, he says, I am the true vine. Seven different ways. 
Family, don't miss it, though. Jesus is extending the same understanding to us today, which God did to Moses, which is he is, don't miss it, he is God and always will God be God. But here's the good news. He will always be for his people. That, that's the good news. He is God. He will always be God, but he'll always be for his people. That's the good news of Advent. So over the next several weeks, my prayer is that you will be encouraged as we walk through these I am statements, not just looking through to the birth of Jesus and celebrating his coming, but that you would turn your gaze towards Jesus and be satisfied with him knowing that he is and has all that you need. He is the great I am. So if you flip with me to John chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. John chapter 6, 25 through 40. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet with me. Maybe one in there. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. Text reads, starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God, the Father, has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, remember this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, the bread of life, the bread of life. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. God, I just pray that you would just watch over our church and continually bless us and continually do your will in and through your people here. 
But God, I ask one simple prayer right now that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up in this place. Father, let your folks hear a word from you. Somebody came in here seeking you, Lord, and I pray they hear from you. Have your way in this place, God. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. A couple weeks ago, we all in here probably, or most of us at least, celebrated Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dinner. Y'all remember your Thanksgiving dinner? Thanksgiving dinner. Y'all like, yeah, I remember my Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving dinner. At Thanksgiving, you have all types of food. Oh, the spread usually is amazing. And at my Thanksgiving, y'all, it's off the chain. It's crazy. We had 10 slabs of ribs. We had 180 lamb chops. We had a, a whole lamb on a spit roasting around in the front yard. It was crazy. We had about 10 turkeys being done. We had all the fixings. We had appetizers. We got apple pie. We got carrot cake. I'm making y'all hungry. We had, we had all of these different pies. And then you got cranberry sauce on the side, the greens. Some of y'all don't know what greens are. They're collard greens. It's, we, got, we had greens. They're off the chain. If you never tried them, try them. We had greens. We had green beans. We had all of the fixings. The only thing we didn't have as a black family was chitlins. I'm black, but we don't do the guts. Nope. Don't do it. Some of y'all are like, come on, pastor, just put some hot sauce. And we don't do that. Mm-mm. But Thanksgiving was off the chain. And the thing about Thanksgiving, though, with all the food and all the fellowship with all your family members, as good as it may be, at the end of it, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but when I'm driving home, sometimes I get this, this sad feeling that comes over me. It's, it's, and it's not because I'm going home, but it's because Thanksgiving just got here. I've been looking forward to it all year long. It just got here, had the fellowship, had my fun, had the food, and then tomorrow, the next day, is gone. Y'all ever had that happen to you before? You just feel sad the next day? I mean, no matter how hard you work to keep the smell of the turkey and the dressing in your nose and the, and the, the, I'm just imagining all the food and the dressing and all all that stuff. And then, and and then the fellowship, as good as it may be, it's gone the next day. I mean, you can, if you remember, I mean, Thanksgiving, I like to play spades. We slamming the spades, spades, cards on the table, throwing the bones, dominoes for y'all that don't know, on the table. We having a good old time, but as good as the fellowship is with the family members, family, soon enough, maybe the next day or later that evening, people get in their cars and they drive back to their houses and it leaves you with this, this longing for more. And the only thing you have to hold on to are the memories that were made at that table, which help you get through the year to the next time y'all come together. You ever been there before? See, what, what I'm really trying to get at, family, is that Thanksgiving is full of food, it's full of fellowship, all of that happens, but it all goes away a day or so later, and it keeps you longing for more. And the thing about it is that problems come probably later on the next day. You went from fun, fellowship, to back to normal life. Family, today in our text, Jesus is saying, people, people don't keep longing for the food that perishes, that won't last. But come to me and believe, because I am the bread of life. 
He said, you may be full, you may have had a great Thanksgiving, you may have had all this fun in this fellowship, but soon it will go away. But come to me and believe, because I'll satisfy you not just for today, but for tomorrow and forevermore, for all eternity. That's what Jesus is saying in this text. He says, I am the bread of life that satisfies your soul forever. Which means that although Thanksgiving is gone, somebody should be glad in here because you know what comes right around the corner? Christmas every year, which means that we get to meditate and think about Jesus coming and him coming again. That's the good news. See, we can be reminded that Jesus not only came to this earth and died, saving those who believe in him from their sins, but the believer can also be reminded that he is with them always. He does not leave them nor forsake them. He says, no more longing for more memories of food that will last only a day, the taste that's on your tongue, but just believe in me and I will satisfy you forever. That's what he says. Today, again, I want, you to, I want to talk about Jesus being the bread of life. And the question I want you to ponder is, here it is, do I really believe in him? And am I truly satisfied with Jesus? Do I really believe in Jesus? And am I truly satisfied with him alone? In the context of our passage today, Jesus, he's just fed 5,000 men, which honestly, as you study it, it's probably close to 20,000 people because they didn't count the women and children. So when you put the women and children in the equation, it's probably close to 20,000 people. Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish. He multiplied it and fed the people who were following him. The disciples then afterwards, y'all, they gather up the leftovers, which always behooves me because Jesus not only feeds the 20,000 people, y'all, but he took them to Golden Corral. <laughs> they, they ate bread and fish till their food. I mean, they had seconds, and then there were leftovers afterward. I mean, I can imagine folks just, just laid out on the hill with bread hangovers and meat sweats. Ain't that right, Ashley? <laughs> they, they, they sitting there sweating from all the fish they ate and just, just, just hung over from this food because Jesus fed them till they're full. I mean, it behooves me that he did this with five fish and two loaves. Oh, wait, wait. Five loaves and two fish. <laughs> but here's the thing. Then Jesus leaves, and the disciples begin to row across the sea. They're looking for Jesus, and a great storm arises over the Sea of Galilee. And in the midst of the storm, they see Jesus walking to them on water. And, y'all, he calms the storm. He just fed the 5,000 or the 20,000, and now he's calming the storm. So over the course of one day, the disciples have seen him feed 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and now they're freaking out for their lives in the midst of this storm, and they see Jesus walking across the water. He calms the storm, and, 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 he, and then they show up on land, as the text says. See, people in their boats were known to capsize in the water because of these storms. So they would die in the water, but Jesus just walks in the way, and he's like, no, kill that noise. Y'all just believe in me. Now, what's happening is that Jesus has now shown them that he's not only, he not only can work miracles, but that he's also God. He's God because Old, Old Testament scholars and, and the Testament, uh, and, and the Old Testament, when you look at it, you see that God has the only, he's the only one with the power to calm storms. He's the only one with the power over water. You know why? Because he created it. 
So they see this happening, like they know that this has to be God, that there's something different about this Jesus. This is the disciples seeing this. See, but what Jesus is trying to let the disciples and the people know also is who he is. He wants them to know that he is God. I mean, if I was one of those people, just put yourself in one of their shoes, and you're sitting there, you're starving, you've been with Jesus all day, he's been preaching, he's been healing people, and now you're sitting there and nobody has any food, and he takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he feeds 20,000 plus people. I would not only be scratching my head, but I would be sitting around wondering, like, who in the world is this Jesus? Who, who is this guy that he could do something miraculous like this? I mean, it would cause me to start asking questions. It would lead me to the place where C.S. Lewis wrote about it in his great book, Mere Christianity. Look at this quote with me. He says this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people, people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a poach, a man who says he is a poached egg, which is crazy, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Then C.S. Lewis concludes, he says, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic or a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. You see, the conclusion is that Jesus is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord himself. He's either one or the other. C.S. Lewis comes to the conclusion that he has to be God. And I would concur with his conclusion, but when you look at this passage, the people here, they haven't got to that point of believing yet. They're not at that place. So what happens is, you see in the text, that they begin to question Jesus. They begin to question who he is. And the text says in verse 22, the next day the folks saw that Jesus wasn't there, so they got in their boats and they start heading across the sea too to travel to Capernaum to find him. And Jesus says to them in verse 26, I love these words, he says, you don't seek me because of signs, but because your stomachs are full. Basically, he's saying to them, look, look, you're not seeking me trying to know who I am because I can do all these miracles and, and, and I can feed 20,000 people because if you did, then you would know that all of those miracles that I've done actually point to me being God. But that's not the reason you're over here seeking me. But instead, you're coming to me because you want more physical or material satisfaction. Mm. Wow. I mean, does that sound familiar to any of us? I mean, let's be honest. How many times have you done that with God? How many times in the last week have you gone to God asking for more of something? God, I need more 
finances. God, I need this man or this woman. God, I, I, I need this house. God, I need that. How many times have you gone to God asking for something and not just asking for more of him? I need you. Again, the question is, do you really believe and does he truly satisfy you, him alone? Jesus keeps going in the text and he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures for eternity, which the son of man gives to you. Then the people ask in verse 28, they said, well, what must we do to, do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says, all you got to do is believe. Believe in him whom he sent. In essence, believe in me. Believe in me. Y'all, as I was reading this and I'm studying this week, I began to smile. I began to start smiling as I'm reading this because isn't it funny that we always have to add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, he, he's trying to break it down simple and plain. We always got to add to what Jesus did. We always have to add to what he's going to do. And then last, we're always adding to what we need to do to, to, to accept him or to believe in him. We, we always add to salvation because here, here's the problem. It, it's very, it's too simple to just believe. It, it's too simple. All I got to do to get what you're going to give me, Jesus, salvation, eternal life with you. All I got to do is believe in you? Nah, that's too simple. It's hard to fathom that to be saved. All one has to do is believe. There's no hill to climb. There's no award to be won. There's no deed good enough. There's no amount of money that you can achieve to be accepted into the kingdom of God. No, no. Jesus just says all you got to do is believe. Believe. See, we tend to, whether we're a believer or not, we make salvation so complicated when it's really not that hard. The reason we do that is because we live in a world where we have to work to gain what we get. We, we, we have to achieve something to be accepted by people. We have to prove to people our worth. And Jesus is like, look, you don't have anything that I don't already have. I don't need anything from you. You can't achieve enough that I haven't already achieved. I just need you to come to me. Come to me and believe. That's all you need to do is just believe. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says these words. I love these verses. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What he's really saying is that there is nothing we can do. There's nothing we can bring to the table that's good enough to warrant salvation. That there's nothing that we can do to achieve salvation. It's by God's grace. It's a gift given to those that believe in his, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how we're saved. We don't save ourselves. There's nothing we bring to the table. And see, here's the thing. If we're really honest about ourselves, here's the hard truth. Here's the hard truth. We ain't that good anyway. We're not that great. We're not that great. But if, the problem is we're not really honest about that. We walk around, and, and like my grandmother used to say, we walk around like our stuff don't stink. She used to say another word, but I'm going to say stuff. We walk around like our stuff don't stink. And here's the problem, friends. Unless we are able to acknowledge our messiness, our shortcomings, our problems, 
Unless we're able to acknowledge who we really are, our sin, it's hard to really experience the magnificence of the gospel because you're always in the way. Your head is too dang on big. Think too highly of yourself. I mean, it's like being at the movie theater. How many of y'all, y'all have been to the movie theater before? Some of y'all just saw Creed too. Y'all been to the movie theater? Movie theater, man. Movie theater is an awesome place. But it's the worst thing when you go to the movie theater and you're sitting behind this guy who has an immense case of Bebo Lottie. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Bebo Lottie got more head than he got body. <laughs> it's the worst thing to sit in a theater and you sit behind a dude that's suffering with Bebo Lottie. Head is ginormous where you can't see the, the, the picture in front of you. Y'all, y'all don't act like y'all ain't been there before. Y'all person's got the big head in front of you. You can't see you bobbing and weaving like you're in traffic and you're trying to see, but you can't. So what you do is you get up from your seat and you move to the next seat so you can see the picture. And see, y'all not following me. See, the problem, see, the point is, is that some of us in here are suffering from a bad case of bivolati. You got more head than you got body. You can't see Jesus because you're you're all consumed with your own self, your big old head. And what you need to do is get out of the throne seat of your life, move over, let Jesus sit there so you can see him for who he is. That's our problem. We think too highly of ourselves. Whether it's false humility, like, no, no, I ain't that good. Or or if it's, I am the man. We we think too highly of ourselves. It's pride. I mean, it's like Isaiah from last week. Y'all remember I was preaching through Isaiah and Isaiah 6. The proper response, when we come in contact with God or we get a glimpse of his grace and his goodness, if it had not been for him, this is Isaiah sitting in the midst of God, this holy God sitting on the throne. If it had not been for him, he sees him in the midst of the throne and he's looking at him. And when he sees him, the only response he has is to drop to his knees and say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's the only response we have when we come in contact with God. I don't have nothing to bring to the table. I don't have anything. You're too good. You're too holy to be in my midst. That's the only proper response. And Isaiah then says, well, use me, send me, I'm here. What do you want to do? There's only one response. But see, it's hard for us to see God or Jesus for who he is because we think too highly of ourselves. I mean, look back at the text. Y'all don't believe me. Look at the text. The people, even after Jesus says, all you have to do is believe, they still say, well, give us another sign then. Give us another sign so that that we may believe. Basically saying, prove to us that you're worthy of our belief, Jesus. Wow, look look at the audacity there. And and it's easy to say, wow, what audacity. I would have done that. But the truth be told is that we're just like that many times. Unless God shows up in the way we want him to, how we want him to, fixes this issue or this problem in our life, it's hard to believe because he doesn't fit in our own little reality. He doesn't fit in this box that we made him to fit in. He doesn't fit in our own little sphere, our wants. Friends, hear me. Believing in Jesus is to believe in someone much greater than yourself which is hard to fathom again because our heads are too darn big. 
Scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Then he says, if you keep reading in verse 6, humble yourself so that God may exalt you in due time, which means that know that your stuff does stink like everybody else's. Know that it does stink. I'm saying stink because it's past stink. Just know that your stuff stinks. And in that, stop being captivated with yourself, but look to someone else who's worthy of your captivation, Jesus. Stop being captivated with yourself. You ain't that great. We're not that great. But the people, they're still stuck. They keep going and they say that our fathers ate manna, ate bread from God in the wilderness, and they ask, well, what you going to give us, Jesus? What sign do you have to show us who you are? Jesus says, don't get it twisted. Y'all ate manna in, in, in the wilderness, but Moses wasn't the one who gave that to you. He said, the Father who is in heaven will give you true bread from heaven, bread that gives the life to this world. And they reply, well, give us that bread, please. Jesus then says, well, I'm the bread of life. But y'all have, I could picture Jesus preaching right now. I am the bread of life, but y'all have seen me and you still don't believe. But whoever comes to me and believes, I will never cast him out and I'll raise him up on the last day. Verse 40, he says it again. He says, Forever who believe, whoever believes and looks to me, the son shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Family, don't miss what's happening here in this text. Jesus has done a marvelous miracle in front of these people feeding some 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, which did not cause the people in this text to start believing in Jesus, but instead they came to him saying, Jesus, give us another sign. We need more personal satisfaction. We need to know. It's all about us. And Jesus says, don't look for the perishing bread. I am the bread that never withers. I'm the bread that, that, that never perishes, but instead leaves you satisfied for all eternity. He says, I'm the bread of life that not only satisfies your deepest hunger right now, fills your stomach, but I satisfy your soul. He says, I'm the bread of life that makes everything else in this world pale in comparison to me. He says, and all you got to do to receive that bread of life is not come to me asking, it's come to me believing. He says, I am the bread of life. This is why Paul Philippians, I love this verse, but a lot of people use it out of context. Philippians 4, 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. See, but the problem with that verse is that we do the same thing with that verse that the people are doing here in this passage is that we, we take it and we, we, we twist it or we Americanize it and we make it all about our own individual circumstance about me, 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 me. And we commonly use it out of context. We use the verse and we tat it all over our body. I can do all things through Christ. And really, we're trying to get through a season. My season is coming. I'm going to get it. God's going to bless me in due time. I'm going to work through this trial. That's not what Paul is talking about in this text. Paul's not saying that here. He's not, talking about having, he's not talking about having his season. Paul is talking about having a godly contentment beyond his circumstances. He's talking about godly contentment beyond what he's going through. Because you know where Paul is? This is how I know this. Paul is sitting in prison, about to die. 
There's no way, Paul is not getting out of prison. He's writing letters to them because he's at his, at his wit's end. He's about to die. He's not saying my season is coming one day. God, get me through this trial. He's saying my strength doesn't come from what's happening around me or to me or how much money I have, but my strength comes from the Lord. And it's not in this case where I'm going to get through this trial, but instead to be content in his situation. You know why? Because heaven awaits him. He's like, I can be in this messy situation, in this trial where I am. I'm, so, I'm content. I've had it all. I've been low, and I'm here, and I'm okay with it because I know where I'm going. I know what awaits me. You see, and, and some of us need to hear that today because we walked in here this morning, and your situation has seemingly got the best of you. Your trial is, is overtaking you right now, and, and you're... And you're, you're sitting there, you don't know what to do. And what you really need to do is proclaim like Paul and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, knowing that you can be content right where you are in the messiness of life because you know heaven awaits you. That's what Paul's saying. That, that's, that's what we need to look to. What, what awaits us? That's the joy of heaven. See, here's the point, family, in this text. These folks were hungry and Jesus fed them. So, so, so they were content for the moment, but sadly, their hunger, pains start coming back. And Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Seek me. Believe in me. In essence, what he's really saying to us and these people is that although your stomach may be empty, life may have got you down. Your finances may seem to be going astray. Your marriage seems to be on the rocks. Friends have turned their back on you. Just know if you come to me and believe, you can know that no matter what's happening to you on this side of heaven, you can be satisfied because you know what awaits you. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Come to me and believe. Do you believe this morning? says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and believe. Family, during this Advent season, there, there are many things around us that can cause our attention to go astray. Hear me, we can become wrapped up in material things. We can even begin to start playing that comparison game, and especially with social media and and. and we could start wishing we had more of this and more of that of being like someone else. Here's the awesome truth about the gospel. When we come to Jesus, y'all hear me, the playing field is leveled. Nobody's better than the other one. We can all receive the same satisfaction in Jesus. The satisfaction that one day we will be free from this world and will be with him forever. Which means that there's no more longing for that of which we cannot have. Jesus says in the text, all you have to do is believe and he will satisfy you not only today, but for all eternity. Jesus is the bread of life. Family, we just have to believe knowing that he satisfies not only today, but he satisfies our deepest longing forever. So let me ask you again, do you truly believe in Jesus? 
And is he the only one that satisfies your deepest longing? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're awesome. We thank you that you are the only one that satisfies. And we don't need anything else, God, when we come to you. We can be with or without things in this world. And you just say, come to me. And you willingly give life to us while before that giving up your own. God, somebody walked in here heavy laden and their hearts are heavy. They're going through something, Lord, and you know where they are. God, I pray during this season, even today, they would begin to turn their eyes towards you. All of us go through those seasons, God. Those times in our lives where we doubt, those times in our lives where we compare, we take our eyes off of you, and somebody might have walked in here and said, I don't even know Jesus. And it's, it's behooving me that he wants to give me life and life abundantly and would die for me. God, I pray that you would intervene in their hearts so they would come right now to know you. And just believe. Just believe. God, we thank you for being a God that loves us just where we are. Seeing the depth of our depravity and saying, that's my creation. That's my son. That's my daughter. And I want him home. God, so I pray that we would feel that during this season. The goodness of a father sending his son and coming to this earth. And then dying for us raising the life, and then offering life to us. Lord, we thank you. Pray that we'll be consumed with you today and forevermore. In Christ's name, amen.